Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm so glad that you've decided to join us for this next hour to talk about everything that is growing, anything green and growing. And right now, you may be looking outside thinking, "Eh, there's some things that are green, but some things aren't very green anymore. They were green in spring, but maybe they're a little crispy. Maybe some things have dried out in your landscape, completely dried out. Um, You know, plants will wilt when they are starting to get dry, when there's very little access to water in the soil or their container. And if you catch it early, you give them water and they perk back up. But if you don't give water pretty soon after that first sign of wilt, uh, we go into this period of permanent wilting. That's a term we use. Permanent wilting uh, just basically says a plant has wilted to the to past, past the point of reviving again. And I will say in my landscape uh, that just this week we have some shrubs that are young and they're um, some evergreen shrubs, uh, but they don't have a huge root system, but I didn't really have to water them so much last year. Um, but this year I've noticed that they were starting to wilt. So I sort of put a sprinkler out, not probably the most deficient sprinkler, but it was getting water out. Let it go for a while and notice the next day that one of the one of these two shrubs was looking good. It had pulled water in and had plenty of water apparently because even just yesterday looking at it, still nice and full of moisture. But the one behind it, just a couple of feet, maybe three or four feet away, it was wilting. So... I had to water that one individually because the sprinkler was not going far enough. And I tell you that story just to remind you that just setting a sprinkler out somewhere, turning it on, no matter how long it runs for, uh, doesn't mean that it's efficiently watering everything in that area. So be sure you're watching that sprinkler as you're watering if you decide to use a sprinkler of some kind. You know, in the nursery, we set up our irrigation systems so they're efficient and effective. Uh, But in the landscape, we may just be pulling out an overhead sprinkler here and there, trying to saturate a certain area. But if we're really trying to uh, water a a big swath of something, we may have to move the sprinkler uh, a few times, let it run a cycle in one position, reposition it somewhere else a little further down let it run again uh, maybe do that several times and just like me that would that's the case that that I was not doing I only let it run that sprinkler in one area and then failed to move it just a few feet which would have gotten a whole another group of plants uh, so this is the time of year here we are the last week of August and this is the time of year the dog days of summer as they say um or the last Saturday of August, uh, that we're going to be hot and dry. Most areas around the state are hot and dry. Most areas, 
in the southeast are probably hot and dry. Uh, we get a little thunderstorm here and there, but we haven't had sufficient rainfall to really keep things nice and full of moisture. So um, that's something to be on the lookout for, for sure. And it kind of goes along with some of the things we'll be talking about today because, of course, like I just mentioned, and as you probably already know, today is the last Saturday of August, last Saturday of the month, which means that we will be answering your questions. We're going to our uh, inbox, to our mailbag, our mailbox, and pulling your questions from uh, our our website, NewSouthernGarden.com, where you can uh, contact us and send us a question for next month, or Facebook and Instagram. That's a great place to even send us pictures so we can see what issues you may be dealing with if you need a visual aid (laughs) to help us uh, help you out. But we do have a question today right here in Cleveland from Katie, uh, who um, is new to gardening. And I love to hear that. I love to hear that new that folks are getting into gardening and trying some things out. And of course, when you're new to anything, sometimes we feel uncomfortable. We don't feel confident. We're not confident yet. We may need some help. We may need some guidance. We may need to be educated on this or that. Uh, but you know, in gardening, I mean, Yes, we can read blogs on the internet, we can read uh, scholarly articles, we can read horticultural research, Um, we can read magazines, we can watch television programs, YouTube videos, there's all kinds of ways that we can educate ourselves, but there is one thing that YouTube (laughs) and a book is not going to help you with, and that is getting the experience, and just knowing something may make us feel more confident, but I think that real confidence in the landscape and in gardening comes from not just knowing, but having that experience of I've done this before. And once you start doing things in your landscape, you'll find that it's even though every day is different and every plant is different and every flower is different, there's always something different, but there sort of becomes a routine throughout the year. And uh, that's something that comes along with experience. And so for Katie, her question today, uh, let me go ahead and read this. Uh, Katie says, my husband and I are new to gardening this year. We bought our first home last year and want to keep the landscape looking great. What are some things we should be doing in late summer around the landscape? So Katie, I really appreciate that question because, uh, well, it's quite timely since you are looking for uh, advice and maybe tips on what to do in your landscape right now. And this is something that maybe we should do, maybe next year, uh, at the end of a season or near the end of a season. We'll just go through the landscape, uh, different areas around the landscape, what you should be doing to your shrubs. What should you be doing with your trees? What about those annuals or your vegetable garden? And so that's kind of what I'm going to do today to help uh, answer Katie and really her husband's question too, is to go around the landscape Uh, and say in certain groups, certain groups of plants uh, or certain areas, the vegetable garden, uh, the orchard, the edibles, whatever, we're going to go around and say, what should we be doing? What are some things we should be doing this month, uh, this later part of the season? Um, So with all that being said, we do appreciate Katie's question. We're going to answer that uh, starting here in just a couple of seconds. But I do want to remind you that if you have a question uh, that is burning through your begonias or something is... uh, uh, tickling your tulips, I don't know. Uh, If you have something going on and you would like us to help you with that, we would love to. Just be sure to check us out at NewSouthernGarden.com and on Facebook and Instagram. And of course, you can find this show after it airs live here on WRWH 93.9 FM. 
You can find it online at NewSouthernGarden.com, and you can find every episode uh, we've ever had on your podcasting apps on your smart devices. So to Katie's question, again, Katie and her husband, new to gardening this year. They bought their first house last year. Uh, They want to keep the landscape looking good. What are some things they should be doing? Well, the very first place we want to probably talk about is are your annuals. Now, Katie, of course, annuals are those plants that they come back year after year. Let me back up. Annuals do not come back year after year. Uh, My mind's going somewhere else. Annuals are only going to last for one season. The perennials are the plants that come back year after year. Now, most annuals are grown for uh, either a warm season or uh, a cool season. So most annuals uh, are going to be grown in the summer, you know, begonias, caladiums, which sometimes can return from their bulb, uh, but some lantanas, uh, petunias, I said begonias, right? So all the things we love in the warm season, they are what we're working with now. But as we get closer to fall, there will be another season of annuals. And the idea is with it, when it comes to annuals this time of year, you know, maybe you've put annuals in large beds all around the landscape. Uh, maybe you've got some near the front of the house or on the back deck somewhere. Well, by the time we get to summer, some things are starting to dry out. And it is maybe a little too, too, uh, too much work. It may be too much work to try to keep every annual bed looking great. So maybe this time of year with your annual beds, you just concentrate on watering and maintaining uh, two or three, sort of like an oasis. So you have these sort of oasis areas, high points, areas where people are going to see it, visitors who come to to your place, they're going to see it, maybe the front of the house, uh, around a patio, somewhere where you're entertaining. Keep those annuals looking great. But it is kind of wild probably to think that if you have a lot of annuals, to maintain them all looking good throughout the late summer. Because the fact is, things are just drying up. We would need to be removing annuals that have died or maybe are just unattractive. Um, You can also replace uh, plants by purchasing maybe more mature plants from your local garden center or plant nursery and fill in those gaps where certain plants in your annual beds may have died. But again, Uh, One other important thing that's going to help keep your annuals looking great is by mulching them, whether you're using pine straw or shredded wood chips of some kind. That's going to help prevent evaporation, water leaving the soil so the plants can't use it anymore. All you need is two inches of mulching material, two inches thick. Keep it uh, away from the stem of the plant. But it's amazing what mulch will do to keep your plants looking great even though right now is a rough season one way to be water wise uh, with your landscape and particularly these annual beds is to scavenge water from your bathtub or your sink if you are using what they, they call that gray water now, black water would be what goes into the septic system. We don't want to deal with that. But the gray water, which may have some soaps, right, some detergents, um, you know, coming from the sink, maybe bits of food and whatever, scraps of this or that, uh, which can surely compost. But the reality is, is using that is going to work very well. Now, we at our house love to um, to have a dehumidifier, Um uh, to keep at a certain humidity in the house. And you've got to dump the bucket from the dehumidifier. It's full of water. 
So we put it into a barrel and we save it. We will use it later out in the landscape or maybe pour it directly into a container right off the back porch. So you don't have to use fresh water every time that you water. You can surely start saving water and uh, recycling. But we're using the gray water from our sink or bathtubs, uh, not black water, not black water. When it comes to watering, though, people always wonder, well, how much is enough? How much do I need? Um, most annuals, most plants in general can go several days between waterings um, if we water deeply. So the idea is that we want to have at least like an inch or more of rainfall uh, or irrigation per week if we can. We say we want an inch of water per plant. Now, how do you do that? Well, it's really more of an, um, you can convert that to gallons by saying one gallon of water per foot of plant height. So if you have a shrub that's three foot tall, that would be three gallons of water if it's a three foot tall plant. So that may be beneficial. That may help you determine how much water you're giving. Now, I've read before where, uh, I don't know if I really trust this because there's so many factors that, that are different, but if you're using a hose, if you're using a hose to water your plants, how much water are you giving with the hose? Well, one source says that um, approximately, well, well rather, the, the amount of water you need for a plant is approximately the amount of water delivered by a garden hose operating for one minute at medium pressure. I don't know if that applies to everybody because medium pressure at your house could be different than medium pressure at your neighbor's house. So what I do, if I say my plant needs three gallons of water, I don't necessarily go get a, a five-gallon bucket, put three gallons in it, and then go haul the bu bucket over to the, um, to the plant and pour it on. That's a lot of moving. That's a lot of back and forth and heavy lifting. Um, then, of course, you could carry a gallon jug with you, fill the gallon jug up. It's a little lighter. Uh, throw a gallon on a plant, then fill it up again, throw another gallon out. And if you want to be tedious about the measurement, about the measuring, then I guess that's one way you could do it. But I have found a maybe a little easier way to know that I'm getting really close to the amount of water that I need. It doesn't take much um, effort. You don't have to pick up a heavy bucket full of five gallons of water. You don't have to haul a gallon uh, bucket across a yard. You just have to be able to count. All you have to do is be able to count. So when we get back from this break, I'm going to tell you a way that just by counting, you can help deliver the right amount of water to your plants when they need it. Hang on tight, gang. We'll be right back. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our contact us page. It's never fun gardening alone. So get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well.
So gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are answering your questions. It's the last Saturday of the month, which means that uh, we're here to help you more specifically in your landscape. Of course, throughout the month, we try to give you uh, timely topics of things that should be going on, things to do, and notes of inspiration and, and hopefully giving you ideas of, of new things to try in your landscape. But we do appreciate the question today, which comes right here from Cleveland, Georgia. Uh, Katie, who is a listener, probably a new listener, because it sounds like she's been uh, just getting into gardening with her husband this year. They bought a house last year. So she's wondering what are some things she should be doing to keep her landscape looking good this time of year. They want to keep the landscape in shape, and I don't blame you. I mean, you clean your bedroom, you clean your bathroom, uh, you paint the walls when the walls are looking rough, why don't we make sure the landscape gets the cleaning and the painting that it needs, right? Um, So before the break, we were talking about annuals. What should you be doing right now in your annual beds? And of course, watering them is going to be a critical thing because, of course, water is kind of in um, short supply. Uh, We go through periods of fairly moist, and then it seems like we go through periods of fairly dry, and we are sort of in that dry period right now. So if we're not getting rainfall, you need to make sure that your annual plants are getting about a gallon of water per foot of plant height. Now, for most annuals, that's fairly short. Some some annuals are 18 inches tall. That's a gallon and a half. Uh, some plants may be only um, half a foot tall. Well, that's only half of a gallon. And so it doesn't take a lot of water uh, in, in order to water your plants. But we always want to water deeply and infrequently rather than water shallowly and frequently. I know that's kind of confusing. It just means water rarely, but when you do water, be sure you're giving ample amounts of water that are going down at least six inches into the soil. That is a great depth to think about. But you don't always know how many inches of water is you're giving or how many gallons of water you're giving when you're using a gardening hose. Uh, but I've found that uh, you don't necessarily have to measure it out in a bucket and then use the bucket to pour the water underneath your plants. But if you start with a bucket, say sometime when you've got oh, just about five minutes of free time, uh, grab a five-gallon bucket And then grab your garden hose and turn the water on the hose to about the speed uh, or pressure that you would be using in your landscape. And then take the water and start pouring it into the bucket. And as soon as that first drop hits the bottom of the bucket, start counting. One, two, three Mississippi, four Mississippi. Start counting the number of seconds that it takes to fill up the bucket. Or if you only want to know how long it takes to fill up a gallon, use a gallon bucket or make a mark on your bucket where a gallon would be and see how many seconds it takes to give a gallon or five gallons of water from that spigot at that rate. And then when you go into the landscape, you've got your trusty hose in hand, you place it at the root ball uh, at the soil, of a plant and you start counting. Turn the water on, start counting, and when you reach the number of seconds uh, that gives you the right number of gallons, you're good to go. You can move on to the next plant. So that is a simple way to water and know exactly if if you're real uh, particular about making sure you're giving enough water. That's an easy way, just counting. Counting the number of seconds it takes to give the right amount of water. And again, that recommendation is we need one inch of rainfall um, or irrigation per week 
which kind of translates into a gallon of water per foot of plant height. Some shrubs, maybe eight feet tall, they need eight gallons of water per week. So keep that in mind. But as far as annuals go, another thing you need to be doing is cleaning them up. You know, if you're not deadheading regularly, take this time to deadhead. And if the plant is sort of floppy and lanky and tall and just out of whack, you can cut your um, annual plants by about half, fertilize them well with a well-balanced fertilizer. Uh, You could even use a liquid feed because you're going to be watering them anyways. Uh, But give them a boost of energy, give them a haircut, and in just a couple weeks, maybe three, uh, you will start to see regrowth happening and and blooming. And that gives us just a little bit of encouragement as we go through the heat of this late summer, trying to get into um, trying to get into fall, making sure things look good. Definitely do that with your containers too. Do that with your containers because that is a wonderful thing uh, to keep the containers looking fresh. Give them a haircut, about 50% of the plant, cut it back, and then fertilize and water regularly. Now, getting away from annuals this time of year, Katie, I I don't know what all you're growing, but uh, I would like to make a few notes on vegetables. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, getting your uh, fall, fall vegetables going and now is still a good time so uh, if you have a vegetable garden you may be tired of picking beans and corn and peppers tomatoes and squash and so you can decide to uh, let the garden wither just let that go Uh, and start getting ready for fall. If you want to try to keep them going, the tomatoes uh, can use some fertilizer. They need to use some moisture, trying to make those indeterminate tomatoes, which are those tomatoes that bloom and produce throughout uh, summer until frost. Keeping those healthy is a good idea. But if you want to start to transition into your fall gardening, now is a good time to do that. Of course, you can find transplants at your local plant nursery or garden center, but you can surely start them from seed uh, yourself. Uh, some of the ones that are easy and probably make sense to start from seed are any of the root crops like beets, uh, turnips, um, and radishes. Those, those three things, you, you really want to sow them where they're going to be harvested. You don't want to start them in a little pack of, um, a little plastic pack of, of cells, you know. You want to start those right where they're going to be harvested. But collards, kale, mustard, uh, those are very, very quick to germinate and go. You may consider growing some things from transplants like broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, green onions. Sometimes uh, you, you may just have better success by trying the transplants, but... Um, But being the fact that we're in August, it's not just getting ready for fall, but you, if you still want a few of those summer vegetables, you still got enough time for certain things. Um, If you started here in August, some bush beans, of course, those are beans that don't get very tall, uh, maybe about knee height or so, and they produce more readily than beans that have to climb. Uh, Bush beans, you probably have enough warm days to start those again in the landscape. Tomatoes will actually uh, be able to produce. I would rather start my tomatoes from cuttings on my, off of my existing plants. Say you have some plants that are tall, lanky, just looking tired, but you still have some some stems and some soft growth at the tip that you could make a cutting from, remove that from the plant, maybe dip it in hormone, or I've just dipped 
put them in a glass of water and they root in just a couple of weeks. That is one way you could get some tomatoes, uh, some new fresh plants, if you will, and you'll still have a small crop of tomatoes before the frost. But bell peppers, kind of the same, cucumbers and squash. Um, if you've got those as transplants, if you'd start them a seed or if you find some at your local garden center, plant nursery, uh, some of those need to be started uh, a little earlier than now, but you could still put them into the landscape here in August. Now, I, I also had a question from somebody, a customer at the nursery, um, about white flies in their landscape. And now is a good time to trap some of your white flies. Um, white flies, of course, are a problem. Uh, well, in our greenhouses, they're a problem. Uh, sometimes with houseplants, they're a problem. But you can make a trap. You can make a trap for these very small, tiny little creatures. You just take a piece of cardboard that's maybe three to three inches by four inches, spray the the cardboard a bright yellow, and then cover the card with a sticky motor oil. And what will happen, of course, is as the white flies are attracted to that bright yellow, they will land in the sticky motor oil and uh, they will be gone. So if you have these light-bodied, small little insects that can get trapped uh, onto sticky motor oil, uh, doesn't take that much that much effort to do that. But um, take the card and nail it to a stake, um, and and you can put them on either side of uh, of your plants, and that really uh, will will go go a good ways for you. They go a good ways for you to keep some of those nasty late summer bugs off of your edibles. Well, gang, when we get back, we're going to talk about some more things you need to be doing this late summer in the lawn with shrubs and with trees, and hopefully this will help Katie and her husband as they go into this venture, buying a new home and making sure their landscape looks outstanding. So hang on tight. We'll be back with more New Southern Garden in just a second. Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. So, gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are answering your questions here on the last Saturday of the month. We do appreciate Katie, uh, just a neighbor down the street here in Cleveland, sending us her question uh, just to remind you that she and her her husband, uh, they have bought a new home in the past year and this year have started trying to pay attention more to the landscape, which is a wonderful thing. Like I said before the break, you know, we're, we clean our bathrooms we clean our sinks and, and kitchens and, and we paint the walls in the house. Shouldn't we be cleaning and painting outside as well, making sure the landscape? Because that is the first place that any visitor is going to see. And non-visitors, people who just drive by your house, they are going to see your landscape before they see the condition of your kitchen or the paint color on the walls. So <laughs> keep that in mind. And I'm glad to hear that this young couple is trying to keep their landscape going. So we've sort of positioned today's show to help Katie and, and hopefully help yourself uh, what you should be doing this time of year in the uh, landscape. We've sort of been going 
through the landscape, different areas. We've already talked about annuals, you know, those petunias and begonias you planted in the spring. Some of them are probably tired. Some of them may be lanky. We talked about how to shape them up and get them looking good. We talked about watering them and, of course, watering in general. Uh, But then we went to the vegetable garden and talked a little bit about what you can do with your current vegetables uh, and, of course, that it's about time and really is time to start putting a fall crop of vegetables in as well. So uh, we're going to move around the landscape, going to different areas, if you will, going to different uh, places in the landscape. And the next place is going to be lawn. Now, Katie didn't mention specifically what kinds of plants she's growing. So that's why we're going to talk generally about different areas of the landscape. But I'm pretty sure they probably have a certain amount of lawn. So Katie, if you and your husband are trying to keep the lawn looking good, remember that this is an excellent month to sort of compare your lawn to your neighbors, (laughs) right? If you have neighbors, Uh, who have lawns be looking around uh, how pretty yours is or not so pretty yours is compared to others for instance uh, right now we've got the stresses of maybe drought we definitely have heat Uh, disease may be a problem in some landscape lawn and insects you're going to start to see those Um, you're going to start to see certain neighbors who may have neglected uh, some of their lawn care maybe maybe you're in that boat that's okay. Uh, but if yours is the best on the list, well, congratulations. Uh, but really, if it's not in line with other uh, houses, other neighbors, then we need to make some notes. We need to start noticing what we can do next year to make sure things look prettier. Um, considering planting, uh when it comes to to lawn, you can still plant Bermuda seed. You could plant Bermuda sod or sprigs. Uh, you could plant um, uh, zoysia, which is a warm season grass. Uh, but we're getting close to the time where once it cools down a bit, we could sow fescue seed if you have a fescue lawn. You know, fescue is a cool season grass, so it does not like the heat of summer. And for folks who plant fescue seed in the spring, it's really tough uh, with that, you know, spring is cool enough that the fescue seed is going to germinate and grow as long as it's got moisture and the fertilizer it needs and the water. But then it gets so unbearably hot for it that those young plants just start to die off. So if we wait till the more cooler uh, part of early fall, maybe October, which is still kind of warm. You definitely go into November. Um, But if we wait just a bit for fescue, it will germinate. It will love the cool weather. It won't have a problem getting through winter. It's going to grow through winter. And of course, it's going to start uh, getting stronger so that by the time the next summer comes, your fescue is just ready for battle, ready for battle. And most fescue lawns don't look good in the summer, even well-established lawns, but it will at least give strength to the root system so that when better growing days and cooler days come around, fescue will look good. So um, that's one aspect to look at. Now is warm season still. You can definitely plant warm season grasses, but we want to wait to plant any cool season grasses. But in addition to that, if you're looking around your lawn and you notice like underneath trees, the lawn just stops. I've always told folks that um, you can't grow grass and trees in the same place because trees take up a lot of sun. They take up a lot of space, but grass needs a lot of sun. And when trees start to cast shade, 
down below on the soil, grass is so short it can't get up higher than the trees to get the sun. So you'll notice that there is a distinct line between the edge of your lawn and if you have trees nearby, the drip line of the tree. Just go stand just You can do this today. You could do it uh, during the next commercial break. But go stand at the edge of the lawn where it starts to thin out, if you have trees, uh, and look up. Right on the edge, you'll notice that's about the edge of the tree line, the edge of the drip line, which is the furthest branches of the tree. Um, that is the drip line, and really not much is going to grow, as far as grass goes, underneath those trees. You can't have grass and trees in the same place. Some trees, sorry, some grasses are shade tolerant. So you might be able to. Certain fescues are shade tolerant, as well as certain georgias. And there's a new Bermuda, fairly new, about 12 years old, 13 years old, called uh, Tiff Grand, which is a Bermuda that can tolerate certain amount of shade. So if you want a full, lush lawn, you can't have trees as well. But if you do want trees and some lawn, but you want something underneath the trees, start planting um, some ground cover, things that can handle the shade, like mondo grass or pachysandra, liriope, ajuga. Some of these are really nice plants to grow uh, underneath trees. They won't have a problem growing in the shade. And actually, all those I listed there are evergreen, so they're going to look good all year long. But in those areas where the trees are just casting too much shade, it's either going to be bare, you need to mulch it, or you could put some ground covers and some horticultural plants. I think it's a wonderful thing to do. Now, what about fertilizing? Well, with our lawns, we want to fertilize certain lawns, and we don't want to fertilize other lawns. We can go ahead and be fertilizing Bermuda and Georgia. If you happen to have St. Augustine or centipede grass, you can fertilize those. But don't fertilize those fescue lawns. If you have a fescue lawn, it's starting to turn brown. It's going dormant. It's not dying, but it doesn't love the heat. You see, we want to fertilize plants during their active growth periods. Bermuda and Georgia and the warm season grasses, they are actively growing throughout the the heat of the year. But fescue is more actively growing in the cooler parts of the year. So you really don't want to fertilize them in the summer because that may stimulate them to grow, but they're not going to like it. And then they're going to start dying back. So we don't necessarily want to fertilize uh, the fescue or any warm season grass you may have, but we do want to fertilize those uh, warm season grasses. Now, what about some issues you might see? Sometimes in the lawn, we will see diseases and, of course, insects. Two of the biggest diseases that we see in certain lawn grasses is brown patch and dollar spot. And you may surely see them now. You may have seen them uh, starting before. But let me sort of describe to you the difference between brown patch and dollar spot. Brown patch, uh, the symptoms of it uh, are these very large circular areas of dead grass where the edge and the center of each area may be dark green. So if you see that strange large circle with the uh, maybe edges and sort of center uh, kind of dark green, that's probably brown patch. And ideally, we, in order to help our, our lawn with brown patch, we would keep the grass as dry as possible between our weekly waterings and try to water our lawns between midnight and noon, kind of first thing in the morning, if you will. Um, but 
We don't want to over-fertilize, but we may use a fertilizer program to help push that uh, plant out of that disease. Uh, Then, of course, dollar spot looks uh, dramatically different because dollar spot symptoms, uh, they appear as dozens of very small dead spots. That's how it gets its name, like the size of a silver dollar. You know, small dead pot, not large patches. Kind of the same with brown patch to treat dollar spot. We do want to water deeply each week, uh, but don't allow the lawn to become drought stressed. So we want to keep a little uh, good moisture in the soil, but not too wet. Uh, And of course, we don't want it to dry out in between either. And of course, keeping the grass healthy with fertilizer program kind of regimen is a good idea. Now, fungicides can be used to help prevent the spread of these diseases. But at this point in the year, if you're seeing diseases really on any plant, using a fungicide is not going to reverse anything. Uh, Fungicides are best used as preventatives. So if you know you have these problems this year, be sure to start using the fungicides earlier next year. Now, insects in lawns, of course, there's a number of insects, uh, but really one of the worst ones um, is Japanese beetle grubs. Japanese beetle grubs. We've seen the adults come through already, so they've laid their eggs, and you'll find grubs really any time of the year underground. Uh, Now, if you are digging, say, a, a, a square foot area, and you find eight to ten grubs, that meets the threshold of treating your lawn for grubs. Uh, finding one or two here and there is not a problem, but if you are noticing somewhere upwards of a dozen grubs in just a square foot area underground, uh, then you may want to consider treating for grubs. Also, having a large number of grubs, particularly these Japanese beetle grubs underground, um, causes moles to just love your area because they need to eat and they love to eat meat and grubs are on their menu. So if you have a large number of grubs underground, you sort of have to be actively looking for these grubs, right, folks? Because uh, you're not going to see them much above ground. Um, but dig dig an area, foot by foot, and see how many grubs you overturn. Uh, eight to ten is a threshold, and you may want to start doing something, doing something about that. Now, we did talk about flowering plants at the top of today's show, the annuals, but uh, Katie, uh, who again is providing us today's question, probably is growing perennials as well. And right now is a good month to sort of uh, um, assess, just assess the successes and the failures in your perennial garden. So make a list of plants that you may want to add in the fall because it's still maybe a bit warm. You surely can plant as long as you can water right now, Uh, but you may want to wait until it gets a little cooler, just a bit, and maybe we see some more rainfall before you add in a whole bunch of new perennials. But go ahead and make a list of things that did really well this year that you may need more of. Or make a list of things you may want to stay away from because they were temperamental and you had to do too much to them. They took too much of your time. Um, But here are some plants, uh, a short list, Katie, that you may want to write down. These are plants that 
Here in late summer, we're preparing for fall, and certain plants will have fall blooms or maybe colorful foliage. And we've talked about some of these from, the, uh, from time to time, but it's always good to revisit. So one of these plants is Amsonia, which of course is called uh, Blue Star. And that is a plant that's native, a uh, good pollinator plant with these blue flowers in the spring. And then they, they don't do anything else but provide this feathery foliage that turns bright yellow bright yellow in the fall. And then anemone, the Japanese hybrid anemones, they're going to be blooming, as same with asters and chrysanthemums. Um, Eupatorium, we talked about just a couple of weeks ago. Now that's Joe Pie weed. It's blooming now, has some great foliage as well. And uh, helenium, or that would be um, uh, sneeze weed. Uh, some people, uh, why am I losing the blanket, not blanket flower, I'm losing it, sneeze weed. I think that's the one we use, anyhow. Uh, and then of course, sedums, some of the sedums, they love to bloom this time of year. So uh, thinking about perennials, make a list of things you love, things you didn't like, and maybe try to plant some perennials that are going to provide something uh, in the next coming weeks. So when we get back from this break, we're going to keep answering Katie's question and move into our shrubs and tree areas. Hang on tight. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. So gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are answering your questions. It's the last Saturday of the month, which means that we have our Q&A week. And today's Q comes from uh, Katie here in Cleveland. Her question is is basically, what do I need to be doing? This She's new to gardening, so uh, trying to learn the ropes, if you will. Uh, what does she need to be doing in her landscape right now, this late part of summer, to make it look good, to keep things looking good? And we've already been talking, we've sort of been walking around the landscape in the annual gardens and in the vegetable gardens, the edible gardens. We've just uh, talked about lawn and perennials. And so there are different areas in your landscape that may require different treatments this time of year. And And um, before the break, we were talking about perennials, and I was encouraging folks to, to, of course, take an an assessment and see what did well perennial-wise in your landscape. Do you need to be planting more of something and less of something else? Because planting season is around the corner as we get into the early part of fall, and you can add perennial plants at that time. And then, of course, we talked about some uh, plants that have pretty foliage or uh, pretty flowers for the fall. And so uh, if you missed any of those plants, you may want to check out today's episode online at NewSouthernGarden.com, just a few short hours Uh, You can download, stream it there or on your favorite podcasting app. Now, one thing that we want to think about with... um 
perennials, just uh, sort of thinking about a few more notes here, is that we do want to keep our perennials watered uh, during the hot and dry days, but we don't want to overwater them. So be sure that you're feeling the soil, and you can do this with any plant. Get down below the mulch layer. We hope you have mulch, uh, because that will help uh, alleviate a lot of watering needs. But get down below the mulch, maybe a couple of inches, and if you feel that it's dry right there at the two inch depth or so, it's probably time to water. And so a thorough soaking, maybe once a week, should be adequate. Again, that ratio, one gallon of water for every height, foot height of a plant. So if you have a three foot tall perennial, could be three gallons of water, and that should be sufficient uh, each week. Now, of course, there are some things with perennials you need to be thinking of. Uh, deadheading, which means removing spent uh, flowers uh, that may encourage the summer bloomers to keep blooming. Uh, but some perennials are strictly seasonal. But something like Baptisia, which is uh, blue false indigo or false indigo, there's several different colors. It's not just blue anymore. But they actually have these very dark black seed pods, two to three inches uh, in length. And see, they're quite interesting to look at even this time of year. So if you have Baptisia and you don't remove those seed pods, you've got something cool to look at at least. Uh, the same with like Rutabecchias that we talked about uh, last week, I believe. The Rutabecchias have these kind of brown balls, the cones right on top of the seed pods. Those are dry. I like to leave these things all fall and all winter long because they're just something interesting and unusual. The same with like the Autumn Joy sedums. Uh, the flowers kind of start out looking like a head of broccoli, you know, but they turn pink and then they finally turn to a maroon color. So you have this kind of seasonal color as well. So be sure in the perennial garden, you're not deadheading everything, uh, particularly those plants that aren't going to rebloom again. Maybe leave those seed pods up and, and looking outstanding. Well, let's talk about shrubs because, Katie, you and your husband probably have some kind of shrubs in your border. Um, remember that in today's world, we probably have, we probably have need for small, compact shrubs. But if you have large shrubs, if you have tall shrubs, uh, there are plenty of plants that get 10, 12, 15 feet tall and still considered a shrub, a large shrub. Um, but remember that they do provide some shade, and that shade can be beneficial for annuals and perennials. Um, and it gives you just another layer of color. So yes, you may maybe you have a, a thick screen of something, but underneath, right on the edge, uh, you can plant some of these annuals and perennials. So think of it as companion, companion gardening, you know, or you could plant ground cover like a skirt underneath these larger shrubs. So yeah, people talk about ivy, English ivy, and that is a ground cover, but it's quite invasive and, and we don't love to use that anymore. Um, but there are some nice sweet flag or um, a, a chorus is its botanical name. They're very grass-like. Of course, liriope, things like that. Um, green and gold is a great native plant that can sort of do some shade, can go into sun, and it could just skirt underneath some of your shrubbery. Uh, ajuga, ajuga is sort of this uh, bugleweed is another name, and it does have a nice flower in the uh, uh, kind of springtime, but it's fairly a good evergreen. Uh, and they've got dark foliage and green foliage on certain varieties, and some of the ajugas have very Irrigated foliage, so they can be attractive. And hellebore, we talk about that all the time. It's a great evergreen ground cover. But some of these things can, of course, go underneath and spread underneath your uh, your shrubbery. Now, I do want to have a note on hydrangeas because 
you know, hydrangeas are blooming now. Certain ones like the panicles are blooming now. Probably still some of the Annabelle types or the smooth hydrangeas, one of our native hydrangeas. Um, but you can actually collect these hydrangea blossoms on the plant and then bring them inside, dry them out. And those dried blossoms will hold up for years. Now, their color may fade, uh, but if you go out and harvest some um, some dry blooms, make sure there's not moisture on them. You want to make sure they're dry, which this time of year is not hard to do, but collect those, um, b- take off the leaves, maybe hang them upside down in a place that is uh, warm, dark, and dry. I've heard of some people uh, use the trunk of their car to dry hydrangea flowers. Uh, But it's just a way to maybe remind yourself of this past summer. You could have dried, uh, dried hydrangea blooms in the house, in a vase, or in somewhere on a table, and remind you of that summer bloom show that you got with your shrubs, your hydrangea shrubs this year. Maybe something worth trying or doing. Now, let's talk about trees. They're the biggest and tallest plants in our gardens. Uh, The biggest thing with them this time of year, of course, is probably watering inspecting them for damage is going to be something too, Katie, that I would recommend you doing. Like if you're noticing that there's bark that's cracked and loose around the tree, uh, inspect it for insect problems, or maybe it was a maintenance problem. Sometimes our mowers, our lawn mowers, our weed whackers, they clip and nick bark, and that can cause some problems uh, in, in the long term, actually. And then, of course, you may see brown spots. You may see rings, spots around, uh, rings around spots. These could be diseases. So if you notice a plant that has more than 50% of the leaves with these spots, you, you may want to see if you can get an identification on maybe some kind of disease. And then, of course, edges. Look for the edges of your tree leaves. If they look scorched, make sure your tree is being watered on a regular basis, uh, particularly to protect it from those periods of drought or dry where we go without moisture for a couple of weeks. Even some established trees uh, that have been in the ground for a year or longer, they benefit from a bit of watering when there's no rain for four weeks at a time. And so... If you want to water a tree, the recommendation is a little different, it's a little higher. Uh, you would really want to apply 15 gallons of water per inch of trunk diameter uh, once, the, once a week to make sure that the tree's minimum needs are uh, maintained throughout a drought. So in other words, here's, a, here's an example real fast. A tree who has a trunk of 12 inches thick and four feet from the ground, uh, it needs about 180 gallons of water per week. Now, you may or may not be able to, to water it that much. I don't know. Uh, but trees are the biggest things in our landscape and they need more water. Well, Katie, thank you for your question. And I'm glad to hear that you are going and growing things. I hope that... You do give going and growing in your landscape a go this weekend. Um, Congratulations on the new house with you and your husband. Keep that landscape looking good. For WRWH 93.9 FM and New Southern Garden, my name is Nathan Wilson. Hope you stay well and grow well. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. 
Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show.